Welcome to another episode of You See Me But You Don't Know podcast, where we allow celebrities and athletes to tell their story their way. All right, so welcome everybody to the show. You see me, but you don't know my story podcast. We have amazing guy here today, Chad Hennings. Anybody that's a Cowboys fan knows who he is. Uh, I do want to start off by saying, in order to achieve a legacy of excellence, one must live a life of integrity and purpose. Excellence isn't a destination, it's an identity. Welcome to the show. Hey, man, thank you. <laughs> That's cool. Great intro, Reggie, great intro. Man, so tell us, you have accolades all day for the next week, but tell us who Chad Hennings is. You know, we before we went on air, we kind of talked about uh, a, a quote that Jimmy Johnson had said that about, about winning championships, that, you know, t- when you win a championship, then the accolades come post-championship. Yep. yep. So you never intend to set out to achieve the accolade. You set out to accomplish the mission, the yes. purpose, right? Love it. And that's... That's my who I am as an individual. I never set out, you know, to be a state champion wrestler in high school or all state football player. I never set out to be, you know, an academic all American out in the trophy winner or whatever at the Air Force Academy. I didn't set out to play, you know, you know, you know I wanted to play for the you know, professional football, you know, but but it it was chasing to be the best at my position or to be the best at whatever I was doing in life. Okay. Take care of that. Okay. You know, be the best that I can be. Be my best self today. Nice. You know, I live under a thing we talked about excellence. What is living excellence to me? It's it's being your best self today. Um, because it's not every day you're gonna have your A game, but it's it's to be your best self today. Encourage others to do the same. Yeah. And the organizations that you're affiliated with, encourage it to rise to a higher noble purpose or cause. Right. And again, with that, to me, it, it's it's not about me. It's about, you know, as an individual faith, as a Christian, it's it's about discipleship and and edifying lifting up others and being my best self in the process because you know rising tide lifts all boats lifts all ships yes and when you do that everybody benefits wow i tell you what it's it's good and and another thing came to me when i was just going back through and saying okay let me find out more about chad i know chad's super bowl champ air force i know that and then i saw something something caught my eye and I'm going to ask you, what does 1 Corinthians 16, 13 mean to you? Being a man of faith. Yeah. You know, act like a man. Be strong. You know, what we're referring to is, is the greeting that Paul alluded to. And a lot of Roman soldiers would be standing guard. They'd walk up to each other and they, you know, uh, be watchful. Stand yeah. firm in the faith. Act like a man, be strong. Yes. And to me, as as a man, that's what <clears throat> you're gonna get me preaching here. That's what <laughs> that's, gets, <okay. laughs> that's what gets me going about our culture and our society today is that we have, you know, we have told lies to young ladies. For one, that to be successful, you have to be masculine. You have to be a man. You have to do what men do, and be graded on that scale. Yes. 
you know, and for men, it's the total opposite. You're told not to be masculine. You're t- the toxic masculinity. You're told not to provide, not to be chivalrous, not to be a good steward, not to do, to be able to exert aggression in the appropriate manner. Right. You know, and and that's as far from the truth. And that's why we have a, such a confused society today. When I go up to somebody, I say, "Hey, man, act like a man." You know, I told my son, "You know, act like a man." <laughs> you know, he's 29 years old, soon to be 30. It's like. Every day, buddy, you got to own it. Act like a man. Yes, yes. You know, but what does that entail? And for me, that's that greeting that Paul was was alluding to in, in 1 Corinthians is is just that. It's like every day you got to have that mindset. Be watchful. You're the steward of your family. You're the protector. You're the provider. Yes. Stand firm in the faith, identity, who yes. you are in Christ. For me as a Christian, act like a man. Okay, what does a man act like? You know, to be chivalrous, to, to be a good steward, to show those, be a good leader of your family, provide for your family, et cetera. And, uh, you know, be strong. Oh, yeah. Because you're going to face different adversity each and every day. And, and, you know, one thing I'm learning is that it starts out, being a man starts out with a strong foundation. And I'm a preacher's kid, so... I had a strong foundation. I mean, my parents were are still together at 55 years. And not many people can say that because it's like, well, I can tell you now, all of my cousins on both sides do not have their mom and dad still together, mm. which is interesting. Mm-hmm. But you can also see the difference between kids with a good foundation and the ones who don't have a good foundation. And, you know, tell me a little bit about growing up in Iowa. When I think about Iowa, I think about snow for days. <laughs> <laughs> you know, growing up, I was very, I was blessed. I grew up on a farm. I grew up on a family farm that it's, you know, it's been in our family for 140 plus years. Wow. So I, you know, I, I watched my father, my grandfather, you know, my brothers, my uncles, uh, we're all in agriculture. Okay. You know, growing, you know, we had corn, but we had a feedlot operation. We raised cattle. Um, so, you know, so you, if you didn't work, you didn't eat. You know, yes. it's that whole aspect of of commitment, of sacrifice, of you know, if you didn't feel like it, you know, you know so what? You get, you got to get out there and do it. Yes. You got to take care of you know your job, and and that's where I learned you know the great American work ethic, um, and that's what helped attribute to a lot of my success on the athletic field because I wasn't never going to be outworked. That was my thing. Yes. I was a blue collar, had that blue collar attitude that I was just going to work and I wasn't afraid of that. So it instilled in me a lot of the aspect of importance of family, of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, we, large extended family in the area, had a lot of cousins and that we always grew up in family getting together on all the holidays and okay. summer times. And, and you know, you're growing up playing in the outdoors. I mean, that's where I, I, I sometimes, you know, I appreciated that. Uh, lifestyle so much. I, I grieve for my kids that they were never able to experience that. You know, we grew up in in North Dallas area. Yes. they grew up in the DFW area, and, but you never had that aspect. I was driving tractors when I was twelve years, yeah. 10, 11, 12 years old. Yeah, you know, I was driving. I could had a school permit that I could drive to my athletic events at fourteen when I was in eighth grade. Wow, drive my own truck, you know, wow. farm truck. So, I mean, think about that responsibility. <laughs> Sometimes kids today, parents don't even allow them to mow their own grass when they're, you know, push more when no, they're 14 exactly. years old. Exactly. No. So, for me, growing up, that was, I heard it had a lot of responsibility given to you and, and a lot of expectations. Yes. You knew 
what you needed to do. And I was taught that, you know, if I messed up, it could mean my life or, you know, someone else's that's riding on the tractor with me or you're working high, you know, uh, machinery of whatever that machinery might have been that with a, a PTO, a power takeoff, that somebody get wrapped up in that. I mean, people lose limbs, people can die. Yes. And that was an awesome responsibility and growing up I learned a lot from that. Yeah, and and I think about that when you when you mention things like that. It's kids now have no idea what it means to be responsible. A lot of them. A lot of them do, but you have a bigger portion that don't. You know, one of my favorite <laughs> authors is you hit the nail on the head and one of my favorite authors is a Jonathan Haidt. He's a, a social psychologist out of the Stern Business School at NYU. Okay. He, uh, he, he writ, has written several books. One of the books that he wrote addresses this issue. It's called The Coddling of the American Mind, where he talks about millennials and Gen Zs. And it says, why are they this way that, you know, when somebody, they disagree with somebody, they perceive it as violence? Or that if they don't get their own way, or if that they they can't rationalize that if if it's not all about me, then you know the whole world falls apart. Right. And what he said was that it's because they grew up playing, not having unsupervised play. Yes. You know, on the playground. Yes. When you're in elementary school. You know, you play in football, basketball. You know, you weren't supposed to play tackle football because somebody get hurt. But you play tackle football without helmets on. You know, you're in recess on the playground. Oh yeah. You're getting after it. You know, and then you get a disagreement with somebody, you worked it out. You yeah. may have, you know, you argued, you fight, but hey, okay, we got to continue the game or else you know, they're going to blow the whistle. We got to go back inside. We got to finish the game. So right. we, we'll get over it, right? But what kids today, though, they had uh, hovering parents or they had a teacher that anytime there was some adversity, they'd run to the perceived person in authority, fix this. Yes. So they never had the responsibility of working out their own issues. And I, when I read that, I thought, man, you know, that's it. Wow. You know, for then for me, for my kids raising up, it's I always talk to them about owning, owning who you are. Because there's going to come a time where it's, you're not under my roof, under my stewardship. Yep. I'm going to guide you along that process, give you as much uh, responsibility as you can handle, age appropriate, and you mess up, it's on you. Yes. So when I would discipline them, you know, it's like, hey, you understand why I'm doing this? You know, I always go, God disciplines those whom he loves, right? Yes, yes. God disciples them. And that was my my wife and myself, you know, our attitude with parenting. is that Our job is not to coddle our kids. Our job is to prepare them to be adults. Right. I like that. To set them free, you know, because they're going to have to, the world is not a nice place. No, and, and I used to tell our kids and, and the youngest one, I used to tell them all the time, you know, real world is not going to sit back and take care of you like your mom would or anyone else. And we learned at a young age, I mean, I've been working since I was 14, and we would go play. I remember back in times when moms and dads and everyone they tell you, hey, it's time to go. You need to go out and play. You've had breakfast. We'll see you at lunchtime. Come back and eat some lunch. Okay, time to go again. We'll see you at dinner time. Now, make sure that porch light does not beat you on before you get back to the house. You can't do that now. 
I mean, kids now, it's just like, we have grandkids that are country kids in Manford, Oklahoma, live on a ranch. And those kids are exactly what John Stickle said. You don't have to tell a kid to be a kid. And that's what they are. They don't. And, and, and I catch myself, I sit back, I look at them, and I'm just like, wow, there is so much truth to that because yeah. you don't have to tell them to, be a, to, to go out and play and be a kid. And I, I, I was thinking about that when you said the farm because farm kids, country kids that are raised on farms are totally different. You're right. You're, they're driving. Driving a tractor at eight. And yes, they're standing up, but they're still driving a tractor at eight, which, which I'm like, okay, that, that's just crazy. But, but you know, so, so talk about, I remember you said something or read something. You said you were fortunate to play for both of America's teams. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, well, one being attending the United States Air Force Academy and then having yeah. the military commitment to serve, I was very fortunate to have been able to receive uh, waivers for my height and weight to be able to be a pilot. So yes. flying for the Air Force, flying in the first Gulf War in Operation Provide Comfort, and then going from that to play for the Dallas Cowboys, yes. America's yes. team. You know, it is <laughs> to have, I'll say, to work have worked for and served for yes. you know, our U.S. military and then the, the Dallas Cowboys. Yes. And, you know, both of those organizations truly exuded excellence. Yeah. You know, uh, the core motto of the Air Force is, you know, integrity first, service before self, excellence in all we do. And the Cowboys, during our run there in the 90s, you know, our, if we didn't win Super Bowls, it wasn't a successful se season. Yeah. You know, think about that. That's our mentality. It wasn't just winning games. You win games to get to the ultimate game to win Super Bowls. And, it's, and, and I was just totally amazed how focused and dedicated every individual on that team was. And, and it, for me, the transition going from the military to the Cowboys, it was just a, a, an easy lateral move because the mentality for those, I'll call it type A yes. uh, competitors, yep. you know, it, it, fighter pilots, they're probably the most, some of the most arrogant, confident individuals you ever meet. I call it confident arrogance because right. you know they, they know they're good. You have to have that swagger oh, yeah. to go in because you're, you're putting it on the line and you're there by yourself. I mean, in, I flew a single seat fighter. You're, you're there. There's nobody else to blame but you. Right. So if you don't accomplish your mission or you, you screw up, I mean, you're highlighting yourself. And, and we always say in football, you know, the eye in the sky does not lie. The, the film that they're filming, we would film our own stuff too. Our bomb drops. Right. We'd have film that we'd analyze. Okay, you're too steep. You're too fast. You're too slow. You're in a bank angle. That's why you didn't hit the target. You know, the same wow. thing on the football field. We, we had that swagger with the Dallas Cowboys. There were so many times, I remember Troy talking about, there was a lot of times where, First quarter, we walk out on the field. We knew we won because we were so deep in the other team's head that they knew oh, we yeah. were going to win. Oh yeah! And it was we offense we'd get out there, march for a touchdown, game over. I mean, we're as a defensive tackle now. I'm pinning my ears back, yeah. rushing the quarterback, trying to get sacks. But that, to me, I've never been around a group for both more of more selfless individuals, both in the Air Force because it was all about the mission, right? 
accomplishing the mission. It was never about one individual as well as with the Cowboys. Wow. Those guys were all about team, winning Super Bowls. And, you know, when, when you talk about that and you talk about the, the way you guys played or the, the uh, arrogance or not arrogance or, you know, uh, you had a good, complete locker room. And it had to be the same way in the Air Force because all, all the pilots were together, which I would consider yep. another locker room. Same mentality, and it was you know, it, that's where the culture of the organization it starts and stops there. Wow, you know, and that's um, as a tangential thing. I, I have a men's ministry called Wingman, and and what we do is we disciple men. We get men into small groups. I call them element groups because truly, in any life, they always talk about politics or religion is local. Anything in life it, for the individual comes down to their sphere, their garden. Yes. Where, they're, where they're planted, how they bloom in, right? Yep. And that's their their crew, their tribe, their element. What is that smallest social unit? That's what is most meaningful. And if you don't have that right, if you don't have that healthy, yeah. you don't have individuals as men that are willing to front you and, hey, you're man, messing up, messing up at home, man. I, I see the mess is not happening yes, with you, right. whatever it might be, right? <laughs> yes. Or to pat you on the butt and say, hey, great job. Yeah. You're doing a great job. And and to have that mutual support, um, you're missing out. And yeah. I think that's why, again, going back to what we originally talked about, the culture of manhood and masculinity today, men don't have that. No. And 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 I go back just like you. I look at my dad, and my dad worked his butt off. And it was used to you would go to work at a job and you were loyal to a fault. You worked, you worked, you worked and nothing came before that job. If family, yes, but but that job pro- provided for the family. And when you see something like that and then you turn and you see the transfer portal or you see anything where no one is invested in anything anymore. And being a pilot, you have to be invested in what you're doing. Like you said, hey, they're, they're, they're giving you the keys to a $150 million machine or 300, whatever they are. But, you know, talk, talk a little bit about that part of it. You know, there... Again, I'm old school in that manner. And you mentioned kind of the transfer portal and the NIL and things going on in amateur athletics and college athletics today. It's, I'm I'm, I'm really, I'm torn. Okay. Uh, For a couple of reasons. One, being old school, I'm with you. It's it's like I made a commitment, I'm going to serve, I'm going to play my whole time with that team. Mm -hmm. But then I hear some of these horror stories of kids being recruited. The coach has said, hey, you know, you're going to be my guy. And you get there and he's got three other guys in front of you. You're sitting number four on the depth chart and you're never going to play. I mean, you basically got used car salesmen, sold a bill of goods. You got a lemon. Right. So I I can see the aspect of wanting to be able to transfer. And then with the whole aspects of the NIL, you've opened Pandora's box. Now you're an amateur league 
But yet, when a university is making as much money yeah. as what they are with television, social media, that you know you're contributing to that success. Okay, what's wh- where's the balance in that? Yeah. And you know, my solution to that, we're getting off of the sports, <laughs> no, well, oh, no, is, is not necessarily pay the kid the NIL, but hey, if you graduate, if you do the classes, if you go to class, you graduate, you play here, what then you will accumulate each year, uh, X amount of dollars that will go to an annuity that yes. then once upon graduation, you can achieve that. So if it's 10,000 bucks a year, 15,000 bucks a year, you may graduate, then you've got, if you're there four years, you know, 60 grand. Right. That you can either lump sum or that we can pay you out over a period of time, um, that you can have that money for for transition. Yeah, you got your degree and whatnot, but there's got to be a commitment. You're committing to us, and we'll commit to you. And it's not just hopping back and forth. And the majority of the kids in the NIL piece, they're not going to see a you know any a dime. I mean, they'll make something, but it's just going to be your Power Five schools. And most, you know, when you look at it, I don't know how many three million kids that play football in America today. You're talking JUCO all the way up to, you know, the SEC, right. Division One, And those schools don't have budget to be able to pay these kids money or to recruit. I mean, it's, it's you're creating a division and, and I'd be curious to see what it would be like in the locker room when you got a kid walking in, he just signed a million dollar contract with Booster XYZ and his buddy next to him who he's competing with is like gets nothing, you know. That's that that disparity by human nature is going to cause dissension in the locker room. So well, it's <laughs> they're going to have a, it's going to be interesting to watch how this all plays out. Yeah, but and, go, go ahead, ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to you know to conclude on that that that's being the old school guy. It, it, it grieves my heart that these kids will never have the experience that that I did of being able to. Take the just the pure, I would say, the pure joy of winning a game just to win for the game's sake. Yeah. And to represent your school and to want to do your best because you have that loyalty to yes. your school. And it's not just about, hey, how do I look on film so I can eventually get to the pros or, or uh, you know, get good film that if I get cut here, then I'm going to go play somewhere else. Yeah. It, I mean, it is. It's a different, I was telling someone, back in the 80s, we didn't have the rivals camps or all of the other things. Um, And the burdens that are being put on these kids now, hey, my son's getting ready to go play the NFL. Well, your son is still in middle school. So now you have this kid thinking, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm going to the league. I'm going to the league. Well, to be honest with you, only 1% make it to the league and only half of that even is functional yeah. in the league. And, that, you know, what is the average career length? It's less than, th- you know, it's right a little over three years. But now I, you know, and, and the, well, the thing too what's, is, is a shame too with these kids is that they play, they specialize in athletics. They're playing one sport on these select sport teams. The folks are spinning thousands of dollars yes. a year where the kid, by the time he gets done with high school age, he's so burned out from playing so many games that you know he doesn't want to compete. Or 
physically, there's been so much damage done to their bodies because they specialize in a specific sport they're, that they're, they haven't had the experience to be a well-rounded individual. I went to a small high school. I was able to play basketball, wrestling, track, you know, football, everything, where I had to use different body parts yes. and different movements, et cetera, to become the best, quote-unquote, athlete that yes. I could be. Now these kids, if you're playing, you know, 100 games of baseball every year or you know, they don't have select sports football, but girls in volleyball or soccer, you know, you're seeing a lot of injuries too for these kids that they should never have. And they're burned out. So oh, it's, yeah. it's, well, what have we identified, <laughs> Reggie, with all this? It's all, all, everything is, it's been where money gets involved yes. into it and then it incentivizes people the wrong way. Yes. And you look at these kids and uh, I was talking to, I think, uh, Corey. Corey Mays, and he was saying, now kids can't be kids anymore because now they're the next savior for everyone in their family, and they're 12 or 15 or 18 or 17, whatever it is. And, and so you get elevated. Yes, you're the child. <coughs> you're the child, but now you become the matriarch or the patriarch of the family because everyone's expecting you to do it and get them out of everything. You know, you raised a great point earlier too that it's kids, their eyes, it's, it's on fame, so it's athletics. What if we would have put the same amount of gravitas on being a teacher, going to get your education, become a doctor, become you know a businessman, do that because you think about it, we just said it. Average career length in the NFL, say three years. You get out at 22 years old, so you're done playing professionally by the time you're 25, 26. Mm-hmm. You've got another 50 plus or 40 plus years yes. of your work life. What are you going to do now? You don't have a degree or you got out early. You never concentrated on your academics. So what do you do? I mean, I mentor a lot of kids, and it, it always comes back. It, Individuals, I'll say kids, individuals yeah. that are separating from the military or that are separating from professional athletics. And they'll come up and, you know, I'm trying to figure out what I want to do. And I, I'll ask them the question, who are you? Yeah. I'm, uh, you know, Chad Hennings. I'm a defensive tackle for the Air Force, or for uh, Dallas Cowboys. Or they'll, I say, I'm Chad Hennings, you know, I'm an A-10 fighter pilot. And I go, no, that's what you do. What you do does not define who you are. You got to figure out who you are first. Yeah. And sometimes that these kids, it's, you focus on what you do so much that they don't know who they are as an individual. You know, for me, I've, I've come at it from a totally different perspective because I've had so many different experiences in life yes. as a fighter pilot, professional athlete, you know, businessman. I've authored books. I've done public speaking. I do a variety of different things. But that's not who I am. That's just what I do. I, I do what I enjoy doing. Right. But who am I, you know, at the internal? What is my vision, my worldview? How do I perceive my thoughts, my words, and my experiences? Yep. My identity. And that's where people got to get that one straight before anything else. I love it. I love it. It's because it doesn't, and, and, and I can say for coming from you and listening to you, you've had that military side. You've had the NFL side or the structure of both because it's, it's all about doing things a certain way all the time to become better. Basically, 
I look at the military, it's making you a better person when you are in. And then you come out, it's like you having to do your four years. I know people that would have tried to get out of that four years, especially in wartime. You know, you look at um, guy that played for the Cardinals that put his football career on hold. Yeah, Pat Tillman. Yeah, Pat Tillman put his career on hold, and he went to go Surf, follow yeah. <coughs> follow his heart or where he was at that particular time. And I remember back when kids used to, if you couldn't, if you got in trouble, your next stop was the military, was the army. Okay, so now you're going to force this kid <laughs> to go into the military yeah. because he can't be a good citizen. But that all goes back around to the parenting side and to the foundation side. It's like, okay, well, parent, take some ownership of your child and see what happens. You know, again, it all starts and stops in the home. <laughs> parenting is a full contact sport. You know, and a lot of times parents... And particularly dads, they feel that if I give my kids the material things in life, you know, that that doing my job. Yeah. But, but your dad job as a dad is your kids get their identity, their sense of character, integrity, and purpose from you as yes. a dad. Yes. And that's um, you know, when you sit there and you complain about our culture today, about things that are going on in schools, do you know what's being taught in your kids' schools or why you abdicating your role as a parent and expect teachers or fellow students yes. to raise your kid. Yep. You know, they spend more time at, at school and parents, there's a reason why your kid's going to turn out the way they are is because you've abdicated that role and you've allowed someone else to do it and there's nobody else to blame but you. Wow. Yep. That's true. I tell everyone now, I could not be an educator, teacher now because... Their job is basically almost impossible until they get a child that they can actually mold and help. But it's, I mean, you see it. I mean, metal detectors in schools and everything. Yeah. It's like, wow. It's, it's everything but teaching, reading, writing, and arithmetic. Yes. You know, the basics. And everybody wonders why we have a society of easy, laid-back yeah, because kids have never been challenged yeah. for one. And kids, particularly young boys and young men, they want discipline. They want to be challenged. You know, they may not say it, but but they do. Yes. They want to be able to compete. And that's where the mentorship, <laughs> that's why I do what I do with, yes. you know, to encourage others to be mentors, to step out, to be that figure, to challenge kids, because that's where they get you know, identity is from that father figure. And that's why I say coaches. Yes. Coaches, for those of you who are coaches out there, I applaud you. That is probably, for me, the, the, the greatest profession. My coaches, aside from my parents, had the biggest impact on my life in yes. high school. Let me tell you, if you got time to tell oh, you Oh, yes, 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 you're good. I, um, my high school football coach, between my junior and senior year that summer, had asked me what I wanted to do you know, upon graduating from high school. And I said, Coach, you know, I want to play Division One football. I wasn't highly recruited. Um, I got some nibbles from you know local schools in, in Iowa, uh, Iowa State. You know, I got little flyers. This was before the internet, so you get a little postcard uh -huh. saying, "Hey, we're potentially interested in you." But I received one of those 
postcards from the Air Force Academy saying that, hey, I, you know, where are you playing? And I kind of did some research. I had a, a friend that had gone there a okay. year prior. Okay. And I thought, man, I'd, I'd like to play at the Academy. So I told him this. He took it upon himself to put 16 millimeter film, a highlight reel of me, drive 900 miles from my home in Iowa to Colorado Springs, delivered that film to the recruiter on the team uh, that was recruiting that part of the state of Iowa and said, you need to take a look at this kid. I think he'd be great for your program. Wow. That's how I got recruited. That's how I got, you know, I ended up getting an appointment and getting the nomination to get to the academy. And I was the last recruit they brought in that year for a visit after, you know, during my senior year. That coach changed the trajectory of my life. This is a cool part how God kind of works. That coach that he handed that reel off to was an active duty captain at the time in the Air Force. He ended up being a major. By the time I graduated, he was now the executive officer for the general that ran air training command. So that who's the general that oversaw all the training bases, so pilot training, et cetera, the continuing education okay. portion of the Air Force. As you could tell, I'm a little big for my size. Right. <laughs> and they weren't, I'm, I was actually too big to be able to fly jets because of I was too heavy for the ejection seat, too tall for, the, you know, to fly any, the, the, in, to be in the cockpits. So Mike Gould, the general told, if, if your friend Chad Hennings wants to be able to go, he needs to be able to, f- you know, fit in a jet. And for us to be able to do it, he has to be able to sit in the back of a, the trainer was a T-38. And if we can close the canopy with how, belaboring and how to go all that about, how that went about, but Mike Gould flew a jet up from San Antonio where he was stationed to Colorado Springs. I hopped in the jet, was able to fit and close it. That's how I got my waiver. So wow. that coach changed the trajectory of my life to be able to that wow. I could get into to fly jets. So coaches, wow. I'll just say you, you never know the impact you're going to have on a young man or a young person's life till maybe many years later. It may not exemplify, but I can tell you these guys, my coach, Reese Morgan, that guy's coached three Outland Trophy players, a Mackey Award winner. He ended up going to the University of Iowa, was a defensive line, offensive line, tight ends coach. Legend, wow. legend. And he impacts so many young men because that's who he was. He was a coach. I mean, that's, again, the highest compliment I could give, title I could give an individual is call him coach. Wow. Because when you, when you have that, that mentality <clears throat> and not just to be all about you or you're teaching kids life. Yes, and and I I love it because uh, I don't know if you know who Phoebe Phoebe Schechter is, first uh, female coach in the NFL for the Buffalo Bills. She was on the podcast and she we were talking and she said, you know, she said the best thing I can do for someone is to send the elevator back down. And I was like, okay. I love it because you're thinking. So you're basically, that's that coaching mentality. You're going to do whatever you need to do to bring that next person up and then so on and so forth where they can pay it forward and doing things like you're doing with the wingmen ministries and, and everything like that. I mean, I see what you do and it's just amazing that you could actually take your platform and not do anything with it. Because you could say, I'm Chad. Yeah. I don't have to do anything else, you know? You know, and that's where, you know, my wife and I looked around after doing all this because it was, 
you know, your head's down. When I left graduate from college, I went on to pilot training, and then, you know, two years I was flying jets out of Europe, and then the first Gulf War kicks off, and then the or a reduction in force where I was able to then leave the Air Force. Now I'm playing for the Cowboys. We're winning Super Bowls, you know, and I wake up 13 years later, I'm like, oh my God, what, you know, what just happened? Wow. But where you were able to accomplish all that, we kind of looked around and said, okay, there's got to be more to life than just this. Mm-hmm. What's our legacy? And ultimately, you know, I could sit here and I could tell you one of my favorite quotes is, you know, watch your thoughts to become your words. Watch your words to become your actions. Watch your actions to become your behavior. Watch yeah. your behavior becomes your character. And watch your character becomes your legacy. And our legacy is truly not material possessions you accumulate, accolades, achievements. It's relationships. Yep. Who have you been able to impact? So my legacy is my kids, my friends, yes. those who I've been able to disciple. You know, just those who, you know, just sometimes it's just saying a, a kind word or pat somebody on the back or shaking somebody's hand and say, hey, somebody cares about you. Yes. You're impacting people for the, for the good, for the positive. That's what we all can do. Yeah, and I love it. I, uh, I know... Uh, Jason, Pastor Jason asked me one day because he had heard the podcast and he said, hey, he said, how did you come up with that? What was the reasoning behind that? And I said, well, I said, you know, Jason, it was right during COVID. I said, I really don't like people right now. And he just looked at me because I caught him off guard. I said, so I had to look at me first before I could say I disliked someone, I needed to sit down and have a conversation. So that's how the podcast started about conversations, sitting down, talking to people that you may not know. And, you know, we, we talked and, and, and things happened and that was the whole thing behind it. It was, okay, so we talked to celebrities or anyone and basically it's getting sitting down and having a cup of coffee, basically, is the platform. And I look at your platform and everything that you've done. Like you said, you could have could have just put your head down and said, you know what, okay, I'm done. But you're also still teaching your kids on that integrity and everything else about life, uh, which they will go on and do something nice and help and do things for other people. You Amen. Know? Amen. You know? Just pass it on. <laughs> I know, and, and, and I know it's, it's, you know, one of my questions for you was, what was it like flying in the war zone? You know, I look back and I've been asked a question, would you rather go back and play for the Cowboys or go back and fly jets? I'd fly jets in a heartbeat. <laughs> I can see heartbeat. that. Yes, yes. No, it's it's um. Again, I look back and I tell my kids. My I've, kids are all in their late twenties right now, and I said, you know, when I was your age, I was leading another jet into a war zone, in a combat zone in northern Iraq, flying, you know, jets. Yes. You know, they kind of look at you to put that in perspective, and then you know, right after that, within a year after I flew my last mission there, I was playing in the Super Bowl. You know, then they kind of. Give you that double look, you know, just to put it in perspective of life. Oh, that's yeah. how fast life. I mean, expectations in life, and that's how life happened. Oh yeah. But you know, flying in those jets was—it was the ultimate aspect of 
for me, learning the lesson that I compartmentalize because I may have had an argument with my wife, whatever the over the phone. Because when you're deployed, you know, we did I did two three month rotations where I was based in in Inserlik, Turkey, flying into northern Iraq, and you know, we never got to communicate with the families that much. Again, pre-internet, right? So yes. you, you talk on the phone, or you know, you may worry about get the bills paid, you know, there's a, a car broke down, whatever. But you can't think about that when you're getting ready to fly a mission. You had to be all in. So I learned a lot of great lessons in life on being able to focus. Wow. On being able to concentrate at the task at hand, to compartmentalize, to to work, to communicate with your wingman. How you know, there are times where, you know, we're not supposed to communicate. So we'd, you know, signal the aircraft, you right. come join, you know, we do different hand signals where we're not talking over the air. And then okay. How do you communicate? We just changed our whole game plan. What we were originally going to go do, now we got to go to do something else. We got to come up with that in the air. Yes. You know how we're going to communicate all this, and and that's where I just learned about you know flexibility, the key to air power. Yes, and that was the beauty of flying for our air force, for our U.S. military versus our adversaries, is that you know we think three dimensionally. We think outside the box. Yes, we give a lot of responsibility to the individual at the ground level versus some general telling you that you don't move until I tell you to move. When you have that type of autonomy and you have that type of responsibility, and you train people. That's why you're the most potent armed forces in the history of mankind. Wow, wow! And you you just brought up something that I thought about with uh, Herb Kelleher, Southwest Airlines. Him and Colleen, it was all about Southwest. You had a box. Well, you colored outside of the box all day, every day, because no two people were the same. So it wasn't one size fits all. And I think that was the vision behind Herb when he brought Southwest to the forefront and grew as big as they are. And I tell everyone, I had to privilege of being around him. And that was a guy that did the same thing all the time. He was good at what he did. And the most important thing about him that he had was he could see you, meet you, and remember who you were, your name, where he met you. It could have been 10 years ago, but that's that type of mentality like you said, coming coming from the military to the Cowboys or whatever area that you're in. And it's just like, wow, amazing. And that's the way I see what you're doing and how you do things. Because, I mean, people watch. People watch. People may not say anything. And, you know, you be like me and you, I see you and I'm just like, I ah, know, I'm, I'm not even going to talk to him. I'm let him enjoy his space because... Coming from the Cowboys and, and all of that, you guys get bombarded <coughs> with everything, especially being in Dallas. It's, it's, there's nothing else like it. And, uh, you know, I remember having lunch with Michael Irvin at Cowboy Sports Cafe and way back when you guys were winning the Super Bowls, you know, and uh, it, it's, it's just amazing. And, and I have a question for you. Out of the three Super Bowls, which one of those meant the most? That's kind of like asking me which one of my kids I love more. You know? <laughs> but right? For, yeah, but for me, probably the the most memorable was 
well, was the one I probably played the best in was uh, the the last one because okay. I ended up having two sacks in that game. Okay, and um, you know, the, victories and all, but they are all separate. I mean, they're all great memories from each one, but that was probably my best all around game. Okay, and, and because I asked Darren Woodson the same question, similar question, and. When he won his first one, it was like they were looking and guys were crying. And one of the vets pulled him to the side and he's like, well, why are these guys so emotional behind Super Bowl win? He was like, you don't know what it took for them to get here. Yeah. You don't know what they've had to go through to get here, injuries and everything else. He says, so think about Jordan when he won his first one. What did he go through to yeah. get to that first Amen. one? You know? Yeah, Woody, Darren and I, our first year was a Super Bowl. Three of our first four years. Yes, right. So we were kind of spoiled. <laughs> but you talk about those guys like Bill Bates and Jim Jeffcoat and Mark Tuanay, who yep. had been there for, you know, literally uh, probably eight years at that point in time, you know, not even getting, a, you know, the couple playoff victories maybe. But, yeah. But going from, you know, one in 15 Two years later, playoffs, and then third year, you're winning the Super Bowl. Our second year after that, third season, Jimmy's first year, one in fifteen, playoffs next year, and then winning the Super Bowl the next two. Yep. But that's again, we can talk about uh, <laughs> transitioning to par- participation trophies right. when kids get awarded for something that they did. You know, they know. But when you have to work for it, when yes. you earn it, you respect it. Yes. That's that whole aspect when you give stuff away for free, whether yes. it be from a government handout to participation trophies, you don't respect it because you didn't earn it. No. And they always talk about, too, how lottery winners or trust fund babies that have gotten a lot of wealth up front, they blow it within 18 months. Wow. Because they didn't earn it. They didn't earn what it took to make it and to respect it. Yes. I thought just, it's just the way it is. And- which is interesting because you would think that foundation, again, would have taught them the value and respect for that wealth that they had attained at such a young age. And I, I think I read something about spelling where he didn't leave his kids anything. They had had everything and then all of a sudden, you, which I think he knew what would happen with it. So he did the right thing with it in his eyes to donate, do this, do that. Um, but it's, it's interesting because it, it's still everything that we do, it goes back full circle to what was your foundation like? Yep. Even yeah. in church, what's your foundation? It's it. I mean, it it is what it is. And then I see you and the series, and you see how you take everything you do with you everywhere you go, and you don't think about that. Well, I didn't think about it until recently, and I was like, you know what? We do take it everywhere with us, you know. And which is interesting because half the time I don't pay attention. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You hear that, John? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's out of the books and everything that you have done. 
What is one word that describes Chad Hennings? Committed. I love it. Committed. And I think about that. I wrote a book called That Takes Commitment. Yes. <laughs> but, but committed. And it was just the aspect that it's, to me, that portrays it's something beyond, bigger, something beyond self that it's not going to, you know, hightail it and run from the fight. I'm going to stay engaged and, you know, hopefully dictates do it in, the, if, in a manner of integrity and purpose and character. Yes. Yes. I so love committed. It. I love it. I love it. That's well, the goal anyway. We'll see how <laughs> we see how hey, man, you you have I mean you you like I was saying, you have done so much and you've impacted so many because I can just imagine the guys that you've impacted with your wingmen foundation or wingmen ministries. Um and I love it because someone's gotta do something. If not, we're gonna have a whole bunch of guys that are soft. And who are we going to send to fight? Who are they going to fight for? You know, um, but I thank you again. I didn't mean to take up too much of your time, uh, but thanks again for coming on the show. And I tell everyone, you see Chad Hennings, now you know his story. I appreciate you for, for, for taking the time. Thanks, bud. All right, Enjoy man. It. And we're out. Thank you for tuning in and listening. Remember to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, at You See Me Pod. Make sure you share with your family and friends. We'll see you next episode. And always remember, you see me, but you don't know my story.